Today on the Ed Surge podcast, we're going to need a bigger boat because we go inside the Shark Tank as three different professional development companies pitch their products to a panel of teacher sharks. That's right. We're going to play the extremely honest opinions of educators reviewing the companies Bloomboard, EdWeb, and LessonCast. Will the sharks leave anyone alive? Boy, Michael, I really hope so. I think there's going to be a lot of blood to clean up. I know, I know. (laughs) All of the pitches and discussions are coming up right after our news bits. I'm Mary Jo Matta. And I'm Michael Winters. Let's get started. Extra, extra, hot off of the federal presses. A brand new National Education Technology Report was officially released this week on December 10th in Washington, D.C. Our man on the spot, Tony Wan, offers a quick synopsis of the 106-page document on the EdSurge site. One big theme revolves around developing leadership. As the plan devotes an entire section to leadership and to creating a culture and conditions for innovation and change. To support this, the government plans on expanding the work of Future Ready, a professional development initiative launched in November 2014 that currently boasts a network of, that's right, over 2,000 superintendents. And the signing of the new plan is a good occasion to think back on the progress made over the last five years. Karen Cater, currently the president and CEO of Digital Promise, was the director of the Office of EdTech back in 2010, when the last plan was released. In an opinion piece on EdSurge this week, she welcomes the newest plan, reflects on the challenges that led to the development of the 2010 document, and describes the impact that it had in the education world. Her conclusion? The list of successes is long, but there is much more work to be done to achieve the goals set even back in 2010. Are hardware toys the future of kids coding? Well, that's what EdSurge reporter Blake Montgomery asked this week on the EdSurge site. The proliferation of one-to-one devices has made technology a ubiquitous presence in children's lives. But that doesn't mean that they understand how anything works, Montgomery writes. Enter computer hardware toys, which hopefully build kids' understanding of how electronics function. And when we say hardware toys, we mean physical circuitry and kits like Arduino boards, Makey Makeys, and Raspberry Pis. And we're not talking about actual pie, we're talking about electronics. Gets me every time. I know. In terms of growth, one can make the argument that these toys aren't slowing down anytime soon. Raspberry Pi, a computer the size of a credit card, has sold 3 million units to date. And the cost of entry is decreasing too. The latest iteration of the Raspberry Pi, the Pi Zero, is just $5. Pi Zero sounds like the latest low-calorie Pi. I would love that. If there was a low-calorie Pi, I would totally eat that all the time. EdTech bigwig Michael Horn is adding yet another title to his ever-growing list. The co-founder of the Clayton Christensen Institute has been tapped to head the $25 million Robinhood Education and Technology Fund, dedicated to supporting the learning outcomes of low-income students in New York. The fund is a partnership between three prominent New York-based foundations deeply involved in education grant-making, Robinhood, Overdeck Family Foundation, and the Siegel Family Endowment. Congratulations to Michael, and we look forward to having him back on the show to tell us all about it. Here was a bit of a controversial topic this week. According to Andreas Schleicher, OECD's head of education, the U.S. is not a country of heavy testing. 
Now, he balked at American anti-testing fervor because, according to his reading of more than 70 countries' data, the U.S. has relatively little standardized testing. Now, by contrast, Jill Barche of the Heckinger Report wrote this week that more than a third of Dutch 15-year-olds said that they have a standardized test at least once a month. And now it's time for ka The noodle companies have raised a $28 million round. The New York-based company has announced its latest venture, Noodle Markets, which is an education, products, and service marketplace to connect K-12 educators with vendors. The noodle company was founded by Princeton Review and 2U founder John Katzman, who, disclosure, is also an investor in EdSurge. Nashville-based Go Noodle has closed a $5 million round led by Children's Health, a chain of Texas pediatric hospitals. Go Noodle creates and curates videos that offer students brain breaks, activities that encourage them to be active for short periods of time. Congratulations to both of those companies and to everyone else who raised money this week. This past Tuesday evening was an exciting one around the EdSurge headquarters. We hosted our very first virtual Shark Tank, moderated by moi, and thanks to a lot of big help from my fellow EdSurgeon Molly Levitt. Now, this was an event that was put on with support from the Gates Foundation, and it spun out of one central question. Can video professional development provide differentiated, personalized PD that helps teachers grow in their practice? With that question in mind, Team EdSurge sought out three brave companies to put to the test. Bloomboard, EdWeb, and LessonCast all felt they were up to the challenge. We dropped each of them in turn into the Shark Tank with four experienced educators and let the questions fly. But before we get to the feasting, uh, let's meet our four teacher sharks. Remember, Mary Jo is hosting, so you'll hear her voice in this next little bit. I'd like to introduce to you our four fabulous teacher sharks who will be engaging with us today. First up, we have Valerie Lewis. She teaches high school language arts in Georgia. She grew up in Miami, Florida, graduated with a bachelor's in elementary education from Oakwood University, and she also has a master's in special education from Howard. Her belief is that critical learning possibilities should be activated in order for students and for teachers to access those now skills. And she actually recently wrote for EdSurge, and the article was called Why Professional Development Stinks. So on that note, Valerie, can you just give us a one-minute version explaining why does most professional development just not meet the bar that we're looking for? Hi, welcome, um, and thanks for having me. Well, first and foremost, most professional development stinks because the teacher is just talked to, talked at, and unfortunately, we're never invited to the table. Uh, We don't have a voice. We're taught to amplify students' voice, but we don't have anything that just quite fits our needs. You know, and unfortunately, This past school year, I sat through professional development sessions every month, and they were all exactly the same. We could predict, and it was almost like the comical joke going down the hallway, I bet you we're going to have this topic today. And sure enough, it was. So we need something that not only administrators need to recognize what the needs of the teachers are, but teachers need to be fed. We are, after all, lifelong learners. And so, PD, we need some potpourri. Let's clean that mess up. 
I wonder if professional development just needs to stand for potpourri development. Maybe that's really <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Valerie. All right. So that is Valerie Lewis. Moving on, our next shark is Jenna Shaw. Jenna Shaw is currently the Director of Technology and Creativity at Liberty Elementary School in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, she originally started out as a middle school language arts teacher, but she's got a whole laundry list of stuff. She has a master's from John Hopkins. Hopkins, Hopkins. She was a member of the first class of the Digital Harbor Foundation's EdTech Fellowship, and she's extremely passionate about changing education through innovation, through creation, and through technology integration. And yes, those three things do rhyme. Now, we're very curious to hear her thoughts on professional development. So Jenna, here's the question for you. What do you think actually makes a successful professional development tool? Thanks, Mary Jo. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to be here, and I think that professional development needs to do two things for teachers. I think it needs to inspire them. Um, I think that professional development needs to be an event. It needs to be something that you are engaged with that makes you want to talk about and share what you're learning with others. And I think it needs to transform your practice. We talk a lot about teacher growth, but we don't talk a lot about teacher transformation. So not are you um, necessarily a better teacher, but are you different in some way because of some learning experience that you've had? Excellent, couldn't agree more. Thank you, Jenna. Next up, we have Mitch. Now, Mitch is a fabulous first grade teacher joining us from Noblesville, Indiana. In the last few years, his district has transitioned to an entirely one-to-one -one iPad environment, and he's been on the cutting edge of designing all of the learning experiences for his students and sharing successes with teachers throughout his district. Now, Mitch, do you think that PD companies really understand what differentiated professional development looks like? Well, I think right off the bat, PD companies have a challenge. I mean, we first had to think about whether they even have a basic understanding of what we do in the classroom. There's a lot of companies that say, okay, we're in it for teachers, but they have no idea what we do day by day, hour by hour. So I think once they figure that out, um, I, they need to be practicing what they preach. So many times we've had people um, that share all these ideas that sound great in theory, but they've never actually practiced them themselves. So you can be talked at, talked at so much, but unless you actually see how students are reacting to it, um, it's not really beneficial. So when you have a company that's saying, okay, we're gonna help you with PD, I really wanna see kind of what, how they use it in the classroom and kind of how it can transform my own classroom. Fantastic. Sounds like you got to put your money where your mouth is, companies. And then last but not least, we have Emmanuel Andre, or otherwise known as Manny. He is a stat teacher for Baltimore County Public Schools. And now for those of you wondering what stat stands for, it's a multi-year program that stands for students and teachers accessing tomorrow. And he's a graduate of the University of Buffalo. He taught English for eight years at Patapsco High School before moving on to Owings Mills High to work on professional development. He also recently wrote for us as well, and he completed his master's degree in administration at Goucher, and he plans to go into administration. So Manny, last but certainly not least, dig into your bucket of experiences. What is the single best professional development experience that you've ever had in your lifetime? Hi. Uh, like everybody, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy and excited to be part of this. The best uh, 
best PD that I experience, I experience every single morning at 5.30 a.m. with the fantastic educators of hashtag BFC 530. Every morning it's a 15 minute spark chat where we just get together, take one topic on, uh, one topic on education and talk it through. And then that conversation kind of trickles out throughout the day and we come back to it when we need to. And it's fantastic. I don't know where else I can find such a great group of educators to start my day with. Excellent. So here we go. The first company to present was Bloomboard, represented by CEO Jason Lang. Jason started the night strong, but faced some tough questions about its content and the use of micro-credentials. All right, let's play the tape. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, super excited to be here. I think it's clear and we know and we believe that teachers are the single greatest driver of outcomes for kids in the classroom. And so if we want to have the sort of impact that we think we can, and especially if we think that technology and content and devices, if any of that is actually going to fulfill the sort of potential and the sort of promise that we think it can, we have to figure out how to actually train and scale the instruction around it. Teachers are the most important aspect of that entire equation. And yet when we think about how we train and how we manage teachers, the process is still incredibly old school and incredibly one size fits all and incredibly manual in terms of how we train and, and support folks. And it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't align to what teachers really want and what they're trying to accomplish. And so we set out about a year ago to really think through what would be, what could we build that would really be the first way to really personalized and competency-based approach to professional development and to growth for teachers? And what would that sort of platform look like? And could we do that on behalf of teachers and with teachers for teachers so that we can really move the dialogue around PD from what is currently an incredibly inputs-focused model, this idea that there is, it's all about the number of teachers, number of administrators that we talk to that are all about, I just need high-quality PD, I want to find high-quality PD, which is incredibly focused on the inputs to shifting that conversation to really focus on the outputs. So you could have the highest-quality PD in the world, but if a teacher goes back into their classroom on Monday and does the same thing they were doing the week before, before that PD, because we're creatures of habit, it doesn't matter what that PD was. So we need to move the conversation and think about how we change that sort of work from an inputs model to an outputs model. And so that's really what we've done. And so I'm incredibly excited in partnership with EdSurge, in partnership with Shark Tank to launch a new version of the platform as a sneak peek tonight that we're launching today. And so what does that look like? What we set out to do is really think about what's, what are the tools that teachers are engaged with most and how can we leverage the way those tools engage teachers to really manage that. And so we took a playbook out of one of the most widely used platforms in the world today, which is Pinterest. And we said, well, what would, if we could actually help teachers curate collections of practice around the problems that they're working on, what would that look like? How could you build out collections of specific competencies that matter most to teachers based on problems of practice they're having? And then could we let teachers actually build those collections around the content and the resources that are most inspiring to them? And so thinking about that as in a sense of what would, if you're working on resilience with your kids, could you actually see what did another master teacher curate? What would that look like? And could I then, if I found that interesting, could I recommend it? Could I share it? Could I follow it and see and engage in the community of other teachers around that practice? And so what we think about is really empowering teachers to own their own development letting them build out the sort of curated collections of practice and then sharing those with each other and sharing those with the rest of the community. And in our world, it's really focused on can we provide a bit of curation at the top level so that anything that's public is super, super high quality. So that we know we'd rather have a thousand amazing collections than a hundred thousand mediocre ones. 
And so that's where we spend a lot of time is thinking through what would that look like to build those collections. And then there's a lot of really interesting things we can do now when you think about the ability to then add in sort of trending analytics. And so one of the things that Pinterest does best is really think about how they share things with you that you never really thought you wanted, but you find that you really love. So the same thing goes for problems of practice. And so when we think about, can we start to then share what other problems of practice might you be having that other teachers like you are working on? And let's start to recommend those to you, or let's let you actually follow the different categories and the different areas of focus that you find most relevant. And so if you're an ELA teacher, whatever the case may be, you can follow the categories and then you can find specific collections relevant to specific resources recommended by the community that we think are going to help you the most, and then engage in that content around those specific competencies. So it's really thinking about how to manage that. And the sort of collections that we've had teachers build are everything from your fairly, you know, fairly standard, how do you, how to use close reading strategies. But then you get really interesting, really entertaining ones coming from teachers, everything from how to handle helicopter parents to how to do anger management using an Angry Birds theme. And so really excited about the sort of collections that the community has developed. But then we've actually taken it one step further. So in about a month ago, we announced a partnership with an organization called Digital Promise that's been really the, the nationwide thought leader around competency-based instruction for adults, competency-based learning for adults and around using micro-credentials as a mechanism for really driving educator-empowered growth. And so in that partnership, what we did is we said, well, if they're really focused on building micro-credentials, what if for any problem of practice that we're curating, that our teachers, our master teachers are curating around, what if for that collection, you could not only see the exemplars associated with it, so I could see what articles and what videos really demonstrate that skill well, but we could actually embed a mini certificate or a micro-credential directly in that, pro in that collection. And so now it not only allows a teacher to see what are the best practices available, but it actually allows us to give then teacher credit and recognition for demonstrating mastery of that skill and demonstrating competency of that, of that skill. And so if I'm a teacher, I can then log in, I can see what that collection looks like, I can click on learn more, and what that actually then allows me to do is go through and see What's a, what is this collection all about? What is this micro-credential for? How do I actually go through the process? If I want to apply for it, I can see the requirements and the criteria. What does demonstrating mastery look like? And then what we've done is we've taken about two years worth of work where we've, where we've actually used video-based virtual coaching for our teachers. So right now working with Tom Kane and the team out of Harvard that did the MET study, working with them and working with TNTP, we have two different pilots around virtual coaching where literally a teacher can actually initiate an observation from their computer, upload a video, upload a lesson plan, upload some student work, and then that gets sent to a queue on Harvard's team that gets sent out to a third-party expert who can log in, annotate, timestamp the video, provide feedback to that teacher, and then provide commentary and says, here's the top three things you can do to really improve your practice. And all of that is a very short few-day turnaround time. And so what we've done is taken that same set of skills, allowed a teacher to then look at what that criteria are, is for the micro-credential, upload the portfolio of evidence that they recognize as demonstrating mastery for it, submit that for review, and if they actually get feedback on it that says they did a great job, we can actually issue that micro-credential. And so it allows teachers to then build out an entire portfolio of living, breathing, demonstrated mastery of their craft, and think about how you change the sort of professionalism around what demonstrating mastery looks like for their craft. And then what we've started to do is at the state level, go state by state to get statewide CEU equivalency. So we have three states that are already in process to approve statewide credit approval. 
in the next three months, we'll actually be able to cover about 50% of the teacher population nationwide based on the states that are interested, but it's all about can we give teachers credit in terms of their CEUs, their clock hours, their credit hours, in order, in, by demonstrating mastery of the things that they're already amazing at. Excellent. Jason, unfortunately, I'm going to have to jump in because you are over time. Sorry. There's a sneaky little minnow right there is what was happening, but thank you so much, Jason. <laughs> Appreciate the presentation. Lots of good information now. And with that, we're going to move on to Manny, who will be our first shark. So Manny, go ahead and pose your first question to Jason. Let it rip. Hi, Jason. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, I love a lot of what I heard. I love hearing about the teachers being the greatest driver. And I, I love about the, the whole idea of the credits being teamed up with actual state uh, educational departments. My question though is about scalability. What a teacher needs five years from now might not be what they need today. So I wanna know, how are you making sure that you're offering exactly what teachers need and want when they can, uh, when they go looking for professional development? I want to make sure that the sort of tech or the sort of skills or the sort of values that again implemented into education five years ago will still be usable through this model. Well, I think a lot of it is really around that sort of differentiated approach of what sort of data can we collect that really helps identify what the skills are that teachers need and want most. And again, they're really good. Pinterest is a great example. But what we do is a pretty sophisticated onboarding process where we ask you a bunch of different questions about your process and about your practice to then use that to build algorithms that can predict what's the right set of resources to recommend to you based on all the other teachers like you in the system. And so it's a little bit trying to think about the way Pinterest can make recommendations and the way other organizations and the way Amazon can make recommendations that make it truly personalized, but it's also trying to factor in the data about your practice that we think is most relevant in that sort of, in that sort of model. Right, excellent. Thank you very much, Manny and Jason. We're gonna move on now to Mitch. Mitch, you're up. All right, I think you briefly touched on this, but you on your website it says quality content curated by experts. So who are your experts um, and kind of are they in the classroom or how far removed are they from the classroom? So the experts we have curating the model. So the, the new site that we're launching is actually alpha.bloomboard.com. And so if you want to go, it's a private, this is a sneak peek, it's not public quite yet. Um, the experts that we have curating that are actually master teachers and coaches. We view the, especially around the collections model as our core users, really that lead teacher who's trying to scale the sort of really high quality instructional practices around the rest of the teachers. And so we work with them to build out collections that are most relevant for them. And then we have an internal curation team that's led by our chief academic officer who is, a, has, has, is about as the best practitioner I've ever met, who led a bunch of the Gates Innovative Professional Development work and has been a chief academic officer and a teacher and a principal. And so she has then built out a team of curating experts that are trying to do that final screen. So not only, we, we use Kickstarter and we use Medium as editorial sort of examples of companies who do a really high quality job of crowdsourcing content, but then doing a really high editorial lens to make sure that anything that goes public is super, super high strong. And high quality so that's the model that we're looking at and we have both a model of using really high quality classroom folks who are in the classroom and in the field but then also doing an additional layer of editorial on top of that moving on jenna shaw you are next thank you um i am really interested in these mini credentials that you guys offer and taking a look at your platform and what these entail um these are not small tasks these are um 
these are almost full courses that teachers are engaging in with, with multi-parts where they're submitting evidence and getting feedback from experts. What evidence do you have that taking one of these mini credential courses actually changes learning and changes teaching for your uh, people who are involved in it, for your teachers? So it's an amazing question. So if you go to digitalpromise.org, uh, which is the organization that we've partnered with. They've spent the last two years working through a Hewlett grant and working with a bunch of other funders to build out about 120 micro-credentials at this point that are evidence-backed and research-based in terms of driving outcomes for students. And so all of the artifacts, it is, these are, these are non-trivial in terms of the level of engagement, but demonstrating mastery of a craft as complicated as teaching is not a trivial task. And so it's about being able to say, look, this is, this is serious stuff but all of the artifacts that you submit to get a microcredential are generally artifacts around what's demonstrating mastery of student outcomes. So it's what is the student work that demonstrated that you could achieve that skill, and how did you know that there was a prog that there was a change in practice made in the classroom? And so that's why we're super excited about it because it needs to be right. If we're going to achieve the level of professionalism that teachers demand and deserve there has to be a higher bar in terms of what PD looks like. And so that's why we think the research base that Digital Promise has put in place, there's a really good research report about the evidence back behind their micro-credentials that you should read that would, is super helpful to understand that. I would love to continue on this path of the legitimacy of micro-credentialing because I have a lot of thoughts about this. But for the sake of time, we're going to move on to our final shark, who is Valerie Lewis. All right, Jason, my question for you, um, I'll say it's two-part. What's in it for you as a CEO of this company? So I think one, it's really just scale and impact. We started out from this idea of every student deserves an amazing teacher, and it's a travesty that students don't get that. And so from our perspective, it's about how do we scale the highest quality instruction and how do we empower teachers to grow as effectively and fast as possible? In terms of the, right, the undertones of your question, I'm assuming are somewhat of a for-profit technology question, so let me answer that. So we know that districts spend a ton of money on professional development, and by and large, they waste a ton of money on professional development. And so what we our challenge to districts is that we believe that they can spend half of what they spend today using a competency-based, personalized approach to PD, and they can get twice the outcomes, if not better, by really empowering their staff to own that sort of development. And so we are the platform building that sort of process, and we have a sales force that's selling to districts to manage a better platform and a better process around personalized competency-based approach to PD. So how much of my skimpy check is going to go towards earning this micro-credential? And how do I take this back to my county and say, hey, look, I've used Bloomboard, so what are you going to give me now? So I want to know how much more of my check I'm going to lose. And I want to know what am I going to get out of just saying, hey, Bloomboard has given me this badge of honor. So there shouldn't be an out-of-cost pocket for teachers. That's our goal. So we are very much an enterprise sort of sales process, which is we know we don't want teachers to be paying for these things out of pocket. So it shouldn't come out of yours. Districts spend too much money for teachers to have to pay for their own PD. And so all of our time is spent on, all of our certainly sales time is spent on selling to that district level. And it's thinking about how do we replace the dollars that districts spend. So a district that might spend $1,000, $1,500 on credit reimbursement Right? shouldn't be spending those dollars without knowing what the outcomes are actually happening of their teachers. And so that's a case where we can actually save a district money. Hopefully they put those dollars back into your check and so that they can pay you more for that. 
And then you can get, they can give you credit for that. In terms of what you get for it, I think a lot of the state partnerships that we've been working on are showing that we can get clock hour and CE, CPE, CEU credit for you for that. And so it's not only being able to say you can take that micro-credential, take that to your district, take that to your state, but it also give you an endorsement or give you credit towards your endorsement and your research stuff that you actually are working on and stuff that's really practical to you so that you don't have to go sit in a weekend workshop just to get your credit requirements in. I have a follow-up question based on that, Jason. Uh, you said that you started from a place of all students deserve a great teacher. How much time was spent with students talking to them about what they feel a great teacher is and what sort of skills they want a great teacher to have? So the site that we launched today, we spent probably nine months in just usability development, talking with teachers in classrooms, talking with students about what the sort of things that they're working on. Certainly there's a ton of data coming from the MET study around student surveys, and we actually have a couple of partnerships we're working on around the student survey approach to understanding really what are the skills that students want in sort of a great teacher and what that looked like. And so in that nine months, all the feedback we kept coming back with was how do you engage? The problem is that right now teachers don't engage in practice, right, in the way that districts structure, district structure it. And so we set out to build basically a platform for teachers by teachers that would allow them to engage in practice because that's what's best for their kids. It's what's best for them. Next up in the tank was EdWeb, represented by Lynn Scott. Her presentation also went well, but the Sharks did grill her on the company's use of sponsors on the site's content. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us this evening. Sharks, I'm really excited to tell you how the EdWeb community helps teachers take charge of their personal learning. EdWeb's a community of 150,000 educators in all roles and at all levels who are using our free network to share ideas and support each other. We're helping teachers use technology and learn about many new practices that can improve their teaching and their students' learning. We host 300 PD webinars a year so teachers can connect in real time with experts and peers. And here's this week's schedule. We're online live with an average of 1,200 teachers every week and our archive of 1,000 programs has been viewed over 400,000 times. EdWeb is a PD buffet, and it's easy to dive in. We have many teachers who binge watch. Teachers can browse or search for webinars on our homepage calendar to find programs that meet their needs and interests, and they can register for upcoming events and watch recordings of past ones. Teachers love EdWeb webinars. Our presenters are always on a webcam to engage the audience, and our live chat between our attendees is always active and engaged, and it really lets teachers discuss how the presentation is relevant to their needs. We provide CE certificates and a personal learning plan template for attendees uh, who are viewing the webinar. We're, we've issued over 300,000 certificates so far to teachers who are using them to get credit for their PD hours. Our webinars are so popular that we've launched a new premium service, EdWeb TV, which is like a Netflix for teachers. All of our webinars are hosted by over 45 professional learning communities that are differentiated by topic and level, so teachers can extend their learning with a community of peers at their own pace and at any time. After watching a webinar, teachers are invited to join an EdWeb PLC or professional learning community on a related topic for networking, archived webinars, free resources, and added support. PD leaders can create their own PLCs on EdWeb as well. 
They can add their own content, coach, and collaborate with their teachers all on their own uh, PLC. And it's easy to set up, and our EdWeb team provides personal support. Rachel Langenhorst is a technology integrationist and a PD leader. Here's what she shared about what she thinks about EdWeb. I work with teachers of all ages, backgrounds, interest areas, and comfort levels. With EdWeb, I can plan professional development in a way that's meaningful to each and every teacher in any content area. Teachers can watch a webinar on their own time, reflect, and share. The feedback has been phenomenal, even from the self-proclaimed tech newbies. They're shocked at how easy it is to use and shocked that it's free. They say, I can meet other people in my field all over the world and interact with them in real time, and I can do it from the comfort of my easy chair. Anytime you can make learning personalized and have them invest in what they're learning in, it's huge. They come back to me excited about what they've learned. EdWeb is free thanks to our partners who provide financial support and also help us find exceptional educators to present to the EdWeb community and to their teacher communities as well. EdWebers are enthusiastically spreading the word about EdWeb to their peers. Over 9,000 Twitter followers are fans who retweet information about EdWeb World of PD. Does EdWeb change practice? We get overwhelming feedback that we do. We're helping teachers get the tech skills, learning, and support that they're not getting in their schools. By doing that, we're helping them make learning more effective and fun for their students. Sharks, we know teachers love EdWeb. You can tell any teacher to go to edweb.net and sign up for a free webinar or professional learning community. They'll be off and running and taking charge of their own learning. Thanks for the opportunity to present, and I look forward to your questions. All right, thank you very much, Lynn. Here we go, you have thrown yourself in the tank. So without further ado, we're gonna let the shark start to rip you apart in the nicest way possible. So first off, I'm gonna let Mitch go this time. Mitch, uh, do you have any questions in relation to EdWeb? I think first off, I wanna say nice job on your presentation. I definitely think that with you explaining it, I definitely understood your website a lot more even after exploring it on my own, um, but um, I do have some questions. So kind of how do you figure out who is going to be leading all of your different things? Because I, when I notice some of your webinars, I see a lot of them are sponsored by different companies. Um, so kind of how do you really figure out um, who's going to be leading those webinars um, throughout the month? Um, our programs um, are developed in a variety of different ways. Um, some of them are sponsored and led by companies. Um, Building Math Skills is sponsored by the fabulous math company ETA Hand to Mind. Uh, if anybody has sat in on those webinars, um, they see that they are uh, led by a former educator uh, who drills down and speaks about fractions for hours and hours. Um, and um, really provides professional development that's engaging and um, collaborates with the audience and, and asks questions to them and, and really gets them involved in the learning process and gives them tools to go back to the classroom with. Um, so that's one model that we use. Um, we also find that we are overwhelmed by educators coming to us asking to present. Um, so we have a process for that where we're constantly 
constantly getting in presentation ideas. And um, we have a, a team of several people, uh, one of them being me, uh, who works with them to um, decide which of those programs are, are in the highest demand and which ones that we can present. So it's, it's a variety of different ways that we do it. Excellent. All right, moving on to the next shark. Jenna, what do you think of EdWeb? Thanks. Um, I actually, I have a ton of questions. It's hard for me to, to narrow down to just one. Um, the thing that I keep going over, and I, I have um, participated in webinars through EdWeb, I've gotten their certificates, um, and there has been some really useful information and some really great presenters that you've had. And I guess the question is always when I'm looking at a company, um, one of the first things that I always ask myself is, is this really an ed tech company? I think that sometimes companies uh, put themselves into that bubble. And I'm wondering um, how you guys aren't just a broadcast company that has educational content as opposed to an ed tech company that actually does something that transforms learning for teachers and what the evidence or proof of learning is for the people who attend your, your webinars? Thanks for that question. Um, the best way really to, to find out how well it's working is, is really to communicate with those teachers uh, and their, the administrators that they work with. So um, part of what happens on EdWeb is a little bit more uh, under the radar. So what you see as a member of EdWeb are all those webinars that you're participating in live and um, the recordings that you're watching. Um, but we also have a model baked into EdWeb uh, where districts or a school or the third grade teachers within a particular school can also start their own professional learning communities. Um, when it's done on the district level, which is something that we are are rolling out right now um, in Michigan and Maine right now. Um, we are taking it to that level so that the um, administrators at those schools can run a community. They can handpick some professional development for their teachers. They can allow the teachers to find some professional development that they feel they uh, need some proficiency in. Um, and they can work together and collaborate um, as an educational institution um, you know, and have their own community to work on that together. And that really will be a matter of time and um, up to those districts and schools and individuals to really determine, um, you know, if, if what they're doing makes sense. And um, fortunately, there's, there's a lot of new content constantly coming into EdWeb, so they can uh, look for additional resources if they feel like um, they, they haven't achieved what they were trying to do at the beginning. All right, interesting question and a good one, Jenna. Moving on, Manny. Uh, I want to talk about a thing that scares me when I start looking at ed tech tools, and that is sponsors and vendors. And I want to talk to you about vendor presence. Uh, I see that you've all these sponsors, all of these people who are willing to help you and make this free, which is a great thing. But I worry about vendor presence. How is that affecting the way that uh, the teachers are? interacting with the content because the minute it even sounds like one of my teachers is getting a pitch they don't want to hear it anymore well let me tell you ed webbers are not shy they will let us know <laughs> um, so we have been doing it like this um, for well over five years and um, it simply doesn't work you're right that's not what educators are looking for um, you have limited time and you're there really 
uh, to, uh, you know, hone your craft, find out from peers uh, that you otherwise wouldn't have access to, um, you know, how to solve problems in your classroom, um, improve the teaching and learning that's going on in your classroom. And um, we 100% agree with you. Um, we find that partners who stick with us are the same partners that have been for years um, at conferences um, doing presentations that were pure PD. They were bringing in educators and librarians and teachers um, that really were providing solid PD. And um, just like people can walk out of the room at a conference, um, they certainly can walk out of a, of a webinar room. And um, that is obviously a red flag uh, to any partner that what they're doing is wrong. So, you know, on the front end, we coach them, uh, we advise them um, and make sure they understand what this is about. This is not a sales venue. Absolutely not. You're right. And um, we absolutely don't want to work with partners in that way at all. Um, but on the other side, there is um, funding available from them and expertise. And um, you will also see that um, many of our programs uh, never have somebody from their company participating. Uh, they find educators uh, who are working out in the field successfully and they bring them in to share with the others um, in the community. So um, we really understand exactly what you're talking about it and it's something that we pay attention to every day. And finally, LessonCast dropped into the Shark Tank, represented by CEO and founder Nicole Tucker-Smith. Okay, great. Well, before I can tell you about what LessonCast is, first I need to tell you a little bit about why it exists. So, I was an assistant principal at a turnaround middle school and I was charged with leading professional development. And in that situation, I quickly realized that we needed to do things differently in order to get different results. Our current way of doing professional development was like pouring water into a bucket full of holes. And so recognizing our challenges, we have three goals. One, we wanted to capture and share teacher expertise within our building. Two, we wanted to be able to better target individual professional development needs from the novice to the expert teacher. And three, we wanted to use technology to get rid of wasted time. And along this journey, there were a few signs that our professional development wasn't working as well as it could be. You know, the first was we had some teachers who were doing amazing things, but other teachers weren't able to see them in action or be, or, and they weren't able to learn from them and see what they were doing in the classroom. Second was, if we had a teacher who missed a professional development session, well then he just missed it. There wasn't a way to archive the content and there was no real impact because uh, the professional development wasn't targeted for their needs anyway and there wasn't an expectation about what would happen after the PD. And then the third uh, issue that really bugged us is that every year we were starting from scratch and we didn't have a great way to pass on professional knowledge that was specific to our community. And so with those three goals in mind, we created a lesson cast. It's a digital media format that captures a teacher-to-teacher -teacher conversation. So I'm a teacher, and I'm explaining the what, why, and how behind a specific instructional practice, and I'm sharing that information with other teachers within my community. So in this example, this is the teacher explaining how they're using personalized learning with the station rotation model in their classroom. And the teacher can not only explain it through audio and visuals, but they can also include video clips of their, their implementation. But I found that just having a video clip wasn't enough. We also needed to help teachers see the behind the scenes thinking. So it's not just that I'm seeing you and having the students in groups, but how did you choose those groups? That's some of the secret sauce behind effective instruction. 
And we also decided to include in the ability to download handouts. So a teacher's not only explaining, but they're also sharing the materials to support classroom practice. And this is not just a teacher from outside, uh, but this is a teacher who's next door. You have experts within the building. So we ended up with this uh, digital artifact, which is teacher expertise you can see and share. But then we had to think about how does this fit within the normal routine of a teacher? And so this is one example of some work that we're doing um, with schools in Baltimore City. Uh, it's a problem of practice model. And so teachers have access to uh, problems of practice or POP PD modules. And it goes through this format where teachers first start by choosing their problem of practice. So in this case, um, teachers are able to choose between checking for understanding or working with students to student interaction. And let's say for this example, teachers choose for their problem of practice, facilitating student-to-student -student collaboration. So they have this POP PD module that is customized specifically for their learning community. They're able to watch a lesson cast example, which is usually under five minutes. They can also see video clips of implementation. They then take that information and then plan within their planning period. And then they're, um, they, after planning, they then take, put that into practice. So they have a class, they put it into practice, but what's most important is after putting it into practice is the reflection piece. And so with our web application, we facilitate the web, the reflection, to capture this artifact that showcases how a teacher put it into practice in the classroom. So a couple times it's been asked, what's the artifact to measure uh, implementation and impact? And we've done this through the lesson cast. So not only can teachers watch, but they can also create to reflect on their own practice. And all of the modules are aligned with a rubric. So teachers are working with a coach, it's a coach within their own building, and they have a rubric that goes with it to help the coaches give feedback that is specific um, and timely and relevant to that teacher. And so with this uh, platform that we offer, we have several models or modules that we make available. So there are some on core teaching practices, but there's others on personalized learning, blended learning, but then we have a module generator. So uh, the, the communities can create their own modules or customize the ones that we have, because we really found that LessonCast is a customizable teacher learning platform, and that's what makes it work to move a whole school forward. There's one journey, but with differentiated paths. And so with this customizable teacher learning platform, uh, teacher, schools can create teacher expertise that they can see and share. They have differentiated models or modules with built-in coaching support, and then they're able to build a library of on-demand resources that are tailored for the community. And what's most important is that it's customized. And so you have the voices of the teachers in that school focused on the needs of their students, sharing their expertise and building a bank to showcase how they're learning and growing. And then we know that this is a totally different way of thinking about professional development. And so to help schools implement this practice, we've actually just launched an ebook called Problems of Practice or POP PD. And so um, we know that this takes support and we're trying to help schools develop the expertise to really have a platform to capture teacher learning that they can see. Okay, thank you very much, Nicole. Excellent. So we're going to switch it up this time a little bit. And Valerie, I'm going to have you go first. Okay, take down. All right. Perfect. Excellent. Hi, Nicole. I like the fact that you mentioned um, the collaborative piece. Um, and as I was going through your site, 
um, I noticed that with watching some of the lessons, it was almost like watching something in action, um, kind of like a pineapple chart, an open door policy where if I needed some more strengthening, I could kind of see it in action. I could see what it looks like versus just kind of reading about it. So my one concern is, um, oh, I lost my, my thought just quickly. Hold on, I wrote it down. Oh, geez. Ooh, Nicole, you're so lucky. I was just about to tear you apart after I just built you up. Um, I'll take the build up. Can I anticipate what it might have been? Um, yes, just that's fine. Some concern around making sure that it's they were respecting privacy while also sharing. So I did want to mention that these are, there's a communities for the school. And so the school gets to decide how widely they share it. So a teacher can say, I want to share this more broadly or schools can share it within their community. But I don't want to take any time for the next question. No, but that, that was not it, but I, I got it. Nicole, I, as I was watching, I noticed that you guys use the teaching channel um, for a lot of your videos. Do you see a problem with having another company shine so bright on your platform that it kind of dims what you're actually doing? Because I found myself now wanting to go to the teaching channel site and watch their videos. So we actually encourage that. No, I, so we actually encourage that. So we take a look at what are the resources that are out there, but how do we frame it in a way that's specific to that learning community? I will say, though, that the ones that we showed you showcase the teaching channel, but when we work with schools, they often have their own videos. So there are a lot of school districts that have, and it's even better if you have videos that are for that school. So what we make available on, you know, what we shared with you, our sample demo, uses things that are out there in the public. Um, but when we work within schools, we're very careful about maintaining student privacy. So they're looking at videos that are of their own teachers, if that helps. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Fantastic. Thank you, Valerie. All right, moving on. Mitch, you are next. All right. So we all know that teacher time is very valuable. <clears throat> um, and I was looking at kind of how you um, laid out kind of the time requirements. Um, so, I mean, it, for me personally, being an elementary teacher, I'm teaching lots of different lessons and each and every day. So realistically, do you think that it's beneficial for a lot of teachers to create these lesson casts um, with the amount, of, is it, does the benefit really meet all the time that's required to create one? Right, so I love your question. So this is when we get all the time. And really, we're about rethinking use, current use of teacher learning time. So the model that I showed you is one that we used in our school when I was assistant principal. So we had weekly collaborative planning time already carved out, and that's how we used it, and that's how we were able to move forward together. But I will say that it's a differentiated process. So everybody doesn't make a lesson cast, right? So usually our newer teachers are having access to um, the bank of lesson casts, and they may be spending the time just watching and planning. And so their time is two to five minutes. They're watching it. Um, but then we had some of our seasoned teachers who were able to think through, okay, this is how I plan. This is how I implement. I can share my expertise with others. And then we also work with coaches in that we're trying to save them time. So if you're a professional development coach, this is a way for you to literally scale yourself. And so you can create an on-demand resource that's there all the time. So for example, we're working with 
um, Ryder University and with all of their mentor teachers. And they're doing a class for mentor teachers. There are 20 of them. They're creating these resources that they share for the whole community. And so now they've not only scaled their expertise, but those of their peers. And they're using those little short two to five minutes within their novice teachers. So everybody's not making a lesson cast. Right, there's different levels of it, but it does, the creation process does lead to a very rigorous um, form of professional development. And then you have evidence of it that you can then share um, with others in your community. Great question, thanks. thanks. Fabulous, just to let everybody know before we go to the next shark, we may end up going about 10 minutes over. So for those of you that have dinner to to events, you just cancel them because this is awesome. Um, so moving on, we're going to go to Manny. Manny, what is your question for LessonCast? So I want to talk a little bit about the portfolio aspect of this and how teachers would be building a portfolio to show their professional growth. Uh, and I also like that this is collaborative and school-based. But my fear comes into when uh, we start thinking about administrators. Do you, is there a way or do you see administrators coming in and requiring specific things in the portfolio and then it's no longer personalized PD for what the teacher needs, but it's PD for what the administrator says a teacher needs and that they end up losing some control in that way? No, that's a great question. And so usually when we work with school-based administrators, and I was one, um, so when we work with school-based administrators, they usually say, we have these needs in our school and they'll make those resources available. And most administrators are very open to having teachers choose because they want teachers to want to do this. And so the administrators that we work with, they make them available, teachers choose. And then from that point, the administrators are pretty much like, okay, go learn. And then it's the teachers working with their instructional coaches to create the portfolio. Um, the, the administrators are more about the beginning and then seeing the end. And they don't really get too involved in the middle part of it um, because they want teachers to be able to select areas that they need to work on. Um, I will say that we have administrators who do, um, they may do uh, those post-observation conferences with teachers and they may want, they may say, hey, we have these available, which of these do you think would help you in particular areas? So there may be recommendations that way, but for the most part, administrators are like, let's make this available and then we want teachers to choose uh, what best it's them and they want teachers to have that opportunity to, to demonstrate. Um, but the, from then on, it's really pretty much the teacher and the coach working together. Does that answer the question? Yeah, you, you got it. Phew, that was a lot of shark tanking. Yes, it was. <laughs> so uh, how did this all work? Was there a winner? Was there a loser? Uh, did everyone just go home happy they were still alive? <laughs> well, gladly, yes, everyone was still alive. So everybody, I guess, quote unquote, won in a way. <laughs> um, but we did have a winner that was voted on by our sharks. So after each presentation, the audience was able to vote on how likely they would be to use a product and how likely they would be to recommend it. Hmm. And while they were doing that, the sharks actually put scores on each of the presentations and then we tallied them up. So at the end of the night, LessonCast took home first place, EdWeb came in second, and Bloomboard was our third. Excellent. Well, congratulations to LessonCast, and yeah, glad everybody made it out. Big thanks to all of our sharks and our companies. 
throwing yourself in that shark tank is not easy. And we appreciate you doing it. And also, thank you to Karen, Cater, and all of the other writers who contributed to Ed Search this week. And for all of you listening to this right now, if the Shark Tank sounds like your brand of fun, we're hosting another one in early 2016. Click the link in our show notes to get all of the information that you need to attend. Whose brand of fun isn't Shark Tank? That's my question. It's definitely my brand of fun. (laughs) And one more thank you before we go. This week, we celebrated the 200th edition of the Ed Surge Instruct newsletter, which is the newsletter that's geared towards educators and administrators. And to celebrate in style and share just how happy we were, we got together with a bunch of educators to lip sync in a Pharrell-inspired music video. Yep, that's right. Major kudos to the EdSearch team and to the six schools that contributed their talent and their stellar dance moves to this video. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Michael Winters. And I'm Mary Jo Matta. We'll see you next week. This is the EdSearch Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.